putting partygoers on notice. We're going to be looking hard at enforcement. A major spike in COVID cases and a call for celebrity help. This is a call out to Deadpool right now. You're in. St. Paul's sold. This is probably a comparable purchase to our original purchase of the Expo Lands. The billion dollar deal that'll transform the heart of downtown Vancouver. And Canucks Nation in the time of coronavirus. It's just great to have something that all of us can mutually rally behind. How bars are hoping to score some much needed business in a safe way. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We have breaking news off the top a spike in new COVID 19 cases in BC, with many of them believed to be connected to recent parties, a concern that has been raised by provincial health officials. We have 85 new infections. That is the third highest number of daily cases we have seen during the pandemic, and it brings our total to 4,196. One additional death, so we have now lost 196 people to complications from the virus. Eight people are in hospital, five of them in ICU. No change to either of those numbers. 3,469 people are considered recovered, and we are now left with 531 active cases and 1,917 people in isolation. As people continue to spread the virus through private parties, the province says it's hiring hundreds more contact tracers to track potential outbreaks. The premier is not ruling out enforcement for those who flout the rules. But as Ted Chernecki reports, he's also calling on Hollywood to help. Like a rock thrown into the water, there's a ripple effect that we're now seeing. Some of those attending crowded beach parties in Vancouver or Kelowna a few weeks ago are now here to get tested for COVID-19. Vancouver has seen a sudden increase in this lineup at 33rd and Heather. What you're seeing in Vancouver right now is reflected in the numbers that we've seen in the last little while, where there's been exposure events where larger numbers of people have been exposed and public health has been advising people to go and get tested. At this stage of the pandemic, it all seems to be about contact tracing. Yes, the federal government has come out with its own COVID alert smartphone app, but BC wants more. The app can't tell you everything. Nothing replaces person-to-person -person contact. So by September, BC wants to hire 500 temporary workers to trace those potentially exposed to the virus. And so this allows us now to get more people trained up to do this really important work as we continue through the progression of our pandemic here in BC and make sure we're prepared if there's a surge of cases in the, in the coming months. And while there's all kinds of planning going on about how to reopen schools in a few weeks, the biggest spreader of COVID continues to be teenagers and young adults. Not getting a real under control vibe here. This is a, a call out to Deadpool right now. Uh, Ryan, we need your help up here. Uh, get in touch with us. Uh, my number's uh, on the internet. Uh, Seth Rogan, another outstanding British Columbian. We need to communicate with people who aren't hearing us. The two of you alone could help us in that regard. Because the longer it takes for that message to get through, the longer we'll all wait to line up to see movies and concerts again. And the longer this lineup will grow. Ted Chernecki, Global News. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more on this. Keith, contact tracing will be key. But the Premier also talked today about cracking down if people mm -hmm. don't get the message about these parties and big gatherings. 
Yeah, you just have to go on social media to see a rising chorus of anger and frustration from people demanding a crackdown on these activities. Large parties, and we're primarily talking about large parties indoors, and that's where the virus has spread. There's two now notorious house parties in Metro Vancouver that has led to hundreds of people now being in isolation and more than 100 being infected with the virus. And the Premier, again, I think expressing a little frustration, but also a warning to people that if they don't get their act together, they may be getting a visit uh, from the authorities if they're partying. When it comes to things like uh, private parties, uh, people flaunting uh, the uh, restriction on the number of uh, faces in the smaller spaces. And so we're going to be looking hard at enforcement when it comes to situations like that. We don't want to do that. We prefer uh, the good judgment of British Columbians, but those tools are available to us and they're uh, escalating, starting with warnings, of course, and then uh, getting into more severe penalties. So I just looked at the case data on the BC Centre for Web, uh, Disease Control website, and it's interesting. Of those 85 cases reported today, 59 of them or 57 of them have been assigned age groups. The biggest age group in terms of the cases is the 20 to 29. 39% of those cases are aged between 20 and 29. And in fact, overall, two-thirds of the cases are people under the age of 40, which is an indication of where the virus is right now and where it has been for weeks. And we'll see if it continues to stay in that age group in the days and weeks ahead. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Four more grocery store workers have tested positive for COVID-19 at two separate Safeway locations in Surrey. Sobeys says three employees who worked at the 88th Avenue location at 152nd A Street have tested positive for the virus recently. One last worked at the location July 30th. The other two have been off since August 1st. Another staff member working at the 128th Street and 16th Avenue location is also off work due to COVID-19. Their last shift was also August 1st. The company says deep cleaning takes place at each store after every confirmed case recorded. Families with grandparents who are primary caregivers have been keeping their bubbles small, but some fear they'll be expanded now that the province has announced a full return to school on September 10th. Richard Zussman has more on how B.C. is handling the concerns and some advice from our top doctor. (laughs) It's a scene playing out in backyards across the province. Some laughs, a ball and worries about answering the big question when it comes to going back to school. How the bubble extends as they go back to school and have more interactions and whether or not that is safe for the kids to be with them. Like many parents, Caitlin Baker relies on her mom and dad to help take care of her kids, Sophia and Charlotte, after school. And with COVID cases on the rise, the province's back-to-school plan has them worried that can't happen, hoping the return would be more flexible. Some kind of a hybrid model where they're spending some time at home and some time at school. The hybrid model is something the province has ruled out, but is flexible on the start date of school, announcing most kids will not be back on September 8th, being pushed back to September 10th. It's important that uh, students, when they go back to a school that looks different, uh, understand uh, what the rules are around uh, safely navigating uh, the school. Families are grappling with childcare not just during the altered first week of school, but for the entire fall. Dr. Bonnie Henry says grandparents can still be part of that if they are in your family bubble, but families must make other difficult decisions. Maybe we need to reduce our social bubble. Maybe our children don't go to other activities outside of the school setting so that we reduce our overall risk as a family. Then there's childcare, where in Metro Vancouver and Victoria, finding a space is nearly impossible. Even if I did start investigating other options, I'm pretty confident that it's full. 
the province still trying to figure out how to provide parents more options when it comes to before and after school care or if they decide to keep their kids out of school altogether. And also encouraging local school districts uh, to work with uh, providers that they currently have on school land and also other licensed providers to ensure those services are available for parents. For families like bakers, picking vegetables in the backyard may be fun, but it would be much more fun if there wasn't so much worry about what childcare options to pick. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. When BC students return to school, one Vancouver teacher is planning to take her classroom outside. Grace Key has more on what the elementary educator is doing to make sure her kids will be warm through the winter and why we could see more outdoor learning across the province. Come here, buddy. Where are you, bugs? Megan Braun loves taking her three-year-old daughter outside to explore. In the midst of a pandemic, she hopes to take her primary students outside as much as possible starting this fall. If I had my wish, yes, I would, I would want all kids outside all day because I see firsthand the difference it makes and how many rich learning experiences are just outside the doors of schools. The idea isn't to bring desks outside, but to think beyond the traditional pen-to-paper learning. There's so many ways you can teach phonics with, you know, writing letters on stones and kids arranging them. It's more tactile. It's more engaging. They're more into it. The Surrey School District has a choice program called Ecology at East Kensington Elementary. With COVID, the acting vice principal is getting a lot of inquiries from parents and teachers. I always tell teachers, start slow with what you're comfortable with. Take one subject and then you'll find that you're wanting to be outside more. Do your morning circle outside and Talk about what you see or how you're feeling or start with the social emotional piece and then slowly bring in the curriculum piece. On social media, Megan put out a call for warm clothing donations for her students in need of proper gear. We have to be creative right now. Children need school. They need socialization. Parents need childcare. They need someone somewhere for their children to go. A pandemic may now give Megan and others the opportunity to bring their love for outdoor learning to school. Grace Key, Global News. The driver involved in a deadly 2014 crash that killed a cyclist has been brought back to Canada to face justice. Back in July of 2014, 36-year-old Christy Mahi of Richmond was hit by a red Pontiac Aztec after it veered off the road and over a concrete island. Mahi was rushed to hospital but died of her injuries. The driver of the Aztec, 33-year-old Erjan Kashari, was in Canada on a work permit at the time and left the country shortly after the crash. In June of 2018, a warrant for his arrest was issued, and a year later he was taken into custody in Albania. He has now been flown back to B.C. where he's facing one count of criminal negligence causing death. Two people have died and one other was rescued after a Vancouver Island-based fishing boat sank off the coast of Washington State. The Arctic Fox 2 was based in Cowichan Bay. And as Global's Brad McLeod reports, her captain was a well-known veteran commercial fisherman. The dock operator here says the captain of the vessel was Tom Lindbergh, an experienced tuna fisherman in his mid-70s. He left here just over a week ago with two additional crew. We now know Two of those three died Tuesday. The 66-foot wooden commercial vessel started taking on water early Tuesday morning, about 135 kilometers off Cape Flattery, west of Port Renfrew, in international waters. American Coast Guard took the lead after a mayday was received 
from the Arctic Fox 2 at 2 a.m. CFB Comox also helped out. One fisherman was rescued by the U.S. Coast Guard. Two others had abandoned ship wearing survival suits, but the pair did not survive. Their bodies have been flown to Victoria. Some great days out there, but there's some terrifying days. Mark Mercer runs the dock. He says it's likely Lindbergh's two-man crew were new, with limited experience. It's tough finding deckhands for these boats. You know, the, the family-run boats, things work out great. If you're fortunate, you'll get deckhands that return every year, but uh, it's such a tough industry these days. The Arctic Fox 2 is registered to a company based in Shawnigan Lake. In a statement, Teague Fishing Corporation is cooperating with the ongoing investigation regarding the loss of the Arctic Fox 2. We are grieving the loss of crew aboard the vessel and extend our heartfelt condolences to the families. The Arctic Fox 2 was up for sale. Now, the Arctic Fox 2 moors here for much of the year. It just took off and wasn't expected back here until October. Now, I spoke with many people here who didn't want to go on camera. They are shaken up that they're never going to see that vessel and its operator again. Brad McLeod, Global News, Cowichan Bay. Vancouver police and the coroner are asking for your help to solve a more than two decades old mystery. The woman in this composite sketch died at the Broadway Skytrain station back in April of 1998. At the time of her death, a police artist put together a facial reconstruction image of what she may have looked like. The woman was white and believed to have been between 30 and 40 years old. Anyone who can help identify her is asked to contact Vancouver police or the BC coroner's special investigations unit. Well, some good news at a long-term care home in Vancouver. A stolen, highly specialized bike has been returned. The Yale Town House Society says the rare bike was brought back late Tuesday night. It was stolen on Saturday. Surveillance video captured a man riding off from an underground parking lot. Staff at the care home say they need to buy a new battery and are hoping the bike still works. They're thanking the community and everyone who helped to see it returned safely. A deal has been reached for one of the biggest chunks of property in downtown Vancouver. Developer Concord Pacific has purchased the current St. Paul's Hospital site on Burrard Street. Nearly $1 billion will change hands, and that money will be used to build the new hospital. Aaron MacArthur reports. This is what a billion dollars buys in downtown Vancouver. Sitting in almost three city blocks... St. Paul's Hospital will eventually be turned into a major commercial and residential development by Concord Pacific. The final uh, resulting purchase price is as yet undetermined. It will be at a minimum uh, a little under a billion dollars and at a maximum it could go as much as uh, two or three hundred million above that. The sale will form the bulk of Providence Healthcare's contribution to the new St. Paul's campus on the False Creek Flats. This is the, the largest non-governmental contribution to a healthcare facility, certainly in BC's history. The money adding to a billion dollar commitment from the provincial government and 75 million from philanthropist Jimmy Pattison. The project, after decades of delay, is on track. There are some in the West End who fought hard to keep the hospital where it is. But the age of some of the buildings made that solution impractical. Doctors say patients across the region will see better health care in a new modern facility. The current St. Paul's is built up over 126 years and so over the years it's sort of organically grown and parts of the hospital which were not intended for patient care became used for patient care. 
There are no plans yet for what this land will look like. We're happy to get together working with the city and getting a community planning design that really works for everyone. St. Paul's will remain on Burrard Street until the new hospital is finished sometime in 2026. From there, Concord Pacific takes over and the process begins to remake this part of downtown. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A Burnaby couple has been reunited with their beloved dog after a harrowing ordeal. Surveillance video captured the moments when Lucy, the Yorkshire Terrier, tried to evade two men who appeared to be chasing her around her family's yard. They managed to catch her, but the story doesn't end there. How Lucy found her way back home in just over a minute. Oh my God, I'm so ready to go to work. The moment Joe Biden asked Kamala Harris to be his running mate. That's coming up later on the news hour. Plus, wedding bells for a prom king and queen 25 years later. How they found each other after all these years. Right now, though, Burnaby RCMP are searching for two suspects in a bizarre dog napping caught on video. The elderly canine escaped from her yard when she was spotted by two men who tried to scoop her up. But little Lucy gave her alleged dog nappers a run for their money. Jordan Armstrong picks up the chase. She's been through a lot, this girl. This is the story of Lucy, the escape artist. She is cute, but quick. Here she is Monday running down the street after getting out of her yard near Deer Lake in Burnaby. Let's watch that again and you'll notice the black Jaguar drive by. Seconds later, two guys jump out claiming Lucy is theirs. She's not. The two ladies did ask them, is this your dog? And they said yes. So they had the intention to take her. Lil Lucy books it back to her home, but the dog nappers give chase. The two men chased her with her, their car parked next door and then came onto the property and chased her around the house to catch her. The Yorkie puts up a fight, leading them around the house a couple of times, but eventually they catch up with her. Once they drove off, uh, we believe that they just discarded uh, Lucy uh, for whatever reason. Absolutely shocked, like just the brazenness of them coming onto the property, uh, the fear of her missing and being taken like that. As you've noticed, this story has a happy ending. Lucy is back home. The next day, a man said he found her nearby with no collar or tags and gave her over to the RCMP. We prayed and uh, along with all our friends and family neighbors yes. and our, our prayer was answered. The two suspects are still missing, both described as South Asian men between 25 and 30. At 11 years old, Lucy the rescue dog is a senior citizen, but she's an old lady who gave these young guys a run for their money. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, many people still don't seem to be getting the message after pleas from the North Shore Black Bear Society to lock up their trash. This was the scene in one neighborhood in Deep Cove last night. Bins were put out early and left unlatched. Bylaws require garbage and other materials to be put out no earlier than 5.30 a.m. and no later than 7.30 a.m. on collection days. Many of these bins have been closed, but the lids are easily accessible. Concern has been growing from animal advocates recently over the number of bears needing to be euthanized because they're becoming habituated to humans. Just ahead, cheering on the Canucks safely. It's hard not to jump out of your seat at times. Pandemic playoffs and protocols in sports bars. 
Plus, SFU retires the clan. What's next for a team name? Traffic is steady tonight both ways over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but something to keep in mind just at the south end, there is a new traffic configuration at Nordell Way and Highway 91, and that's causing a bit of confusion and delay. For 47 years, Kermac Collision and Auto Glass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Simon Fraser University has announced today that effective immediately it is retiring its varsity athletics team name, The Clan. The university started talking about the name change in January after a poll of student athletes last year indicated strong support for the idea. The school says the primary reason for the decision was the well-being of student athletes, many of whom reported that the current name had caused them to experience unsafe situations and upsetting conversations. SFU Athletics and Recreation will launch a process to choose a new varsity team name this fall. It has been more than five years since Canucks fans had a chance to cheer on their team in the playoffs, but that wait is almost over. The puck drops tonight at 7.30 with our team taking on the Blues. John Hua joins us live from what is traditionally one of the hot spots to watch a game in Vancouver, the Shark Club. But John, things are a little different, of course, because of the pandemic. Yeah, that's right, Sophie. Like you said, the first Canucks playoff game in five years, and you know that the Shark Club would be packed shoulder to shoulder just about an hour till puck drop, but this is the new reality. As you can see, this is actually what the Shark Club looks like as it's starting to fill up. You've got tables spaced out, some blocked off altogether, because like the Canucks, who have something to prove tonight by going against the defending Stanley Cup champions, venues like this one want to prove people can enjoy the playoffs safely during this pandemic. Chris Tanev from the point has a series winner. As the Vancouver Canucks begin their quest to hoist the Stanley Cup. The heavy lifting is already underway at Ocean Park Pizza and Village Pub in Surrey. It is a big process. You know, it's an hour in the morning, an hour at night, a little bit of lifting, sometimes calling up your buddies saying, hey, we, we got to be open by noon. Can you be here? But moving everything outside to this parking lot patio means watching Canucks play off hockey while keeping the pandemic curve down. We wanted to give people a safe and social environment to gather and cheer the Canucks on in August, which is not something that we typically get to do. The strategy in line with the game plan set out by Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry. This is the year where we can celebrate the Canucks with our close friends. <laughs> or outside on a patio with a small group. For businesses like Van City Sports, the hope is a deep Canucks run might help with a sluggish restart. When they win their first couple of games in this best of seven series, I'm think thinking that people might be more in tune to get on board and talk about the Canucks a little bit more. Enjoying a pint as the Canucks continue their postseason is also a little different at the Shark Club in Vancouver with limited capacity and clear social distancing measures in place. The playoff atmosphere is something that doesn't change. The qualifiers, I think we got that little taste. And now that we're actually in the playoffs uh, and, the, and the boys are, are playing their hearts out, we're filling the room with as uh, many we can within our new capacity. The only other ask is enjoy the game. Just keep it to your table. If you stay in your chair and 
you're having a good time. We're not going to bother you. We're here to. We're all here to have a good time and support the team. Now, with a combination of the playoff excitement and the pandemic numbers that are continuing to increase, as especially for today, we asked the Vancouver Police and other health authorities, are they going to be doing increased measures like spot checks? At this time, they say they're just going to let the fans enjoy the game. They are going to be watching the situation closely. But as the Canucks continue to the run, if Canucks fans get a little bit too excited and stop adhering to these social distancing protocols, that could quickly change. Sophie? All right. Thanks for that, John. The Democratic ticket together on stage. I am incredibly honored by this responsibility, and I'm ready to get to work. What steered Joe Biden's choice for a running mate and how his late son played a role? Plus, a deadly train derailment in Scotland, how weather may have been a factor. shape both ways over here at the Massey Tunnel at the moment, but do keep in mind there is some overnight maintenance here from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. You'll see lane closures in both directions. You'll experience some minor congestion. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $14 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. Interest you in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Dark smoke billowed from a woodland area at the bottom of a valley near Stonehaven on the east coast of Scotland after a passenger train jumped the tracks. Police say three people are dead and six are seriously hurt. The driver and the train's conductor are among those killed. Prior to the crash, torrential rain and thunderstorms overtook parts of central and eastern Scotland, creating flooding and widespread power outages. Officials in northern Ontario are watching the weather, fearing a fast-moving wildfire could spread. It's burning near Red Lake. That's northwest of Thunder Bay. A state of emergency has been declared in that community, and 3,500 people have fled. The blaze was sparked Monday and has now grown to more than 550 hectares as water bombers and crews on the ground try to get the upper hand. Australia has marked its deadliest day of the coronavirus pandemic so far. The state of Victoria reported a record 21 virus deaths and 410 new cases from an outbreak in the city of Melbourne. A strict lockdown is now underway. The state's premier said 16 of the deaths were linked to nursing homes. Meantime, in New Zealand, where fresh restrictions are in place following several new COVID-19 cases, long lineups have started up once again outside supermarkets. People in the region being urged not to panic by. Alert level three restrictions mean residents are advised to work from home if possible. All schools, childcare facilities, bars, restaurants and businesses are also expected to close and people are urged to stay within their own communities. The brand new Biden-Harris ticket made their public debut today. Joe Biden and running mate Senator Kamala Harris socially distanced on a stage in Delaware where both made prepared remarks before reporters in a high school gym. Harris embracing the history of her selection as well as her role of carrying the attack against President Trump. The Biden-Harris ticket making its debut in Delaware today. My fellow Americans, now let me introduce to you For the first time, 
your next vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris. Joe Biden and Senator Kamala Harris kicking off a run for the White House that's already making history with the first black woman on a major party ticket. I am incredibly honored by this responsibility and I'm ready to get to work. Harris is a U.S. senator from California and that state's former attorney general. I devoted my life to making real the words carved in the United States Supreme Court equal justice under law. She's the daughter of immigrants from India and Jamaica. She's also more than 20 years younger than Biden and is already injecting enthusiasm into the campaign and boosting donations. We need more than a victory on November 3rd. We need a mandate that proves that the past few years do not represent who we are or who we aspire to be. Team Biden is also counting on the senator's strong and confrontational style against President Trump, who has already accused her of being nasty and disrespectful to Biden while they were running against each other during the presidential primaries. The president tweeting today she's the kind of opponent everyone dreams of, while many Democrats are calling her a dream running mate for Biden. In Washington, Alice Barr, NBC News. In Health Matters tonight, flu season is almost here, and doctors say it's more important than ever to get a flu shot this year. Flu season begins at the end of August, although most cases occur during November. Medical experts in the U.S. say there's no evidence linking the flu shot with COVID-19, but when it comes to symptoms, it's hard to tell the difference. The advice, get checked early if you have a fever, cough, shortness of breath, or muscle aches. Doctors say an influenza shot will also keep you from getting sicker if you get another infection like COVID. A large algae bloom in Shushwap Lake is being monitored by health officials. It makes your feel, skin feel a little bit weird. What environmental testing has revealed about the bloom and how concerned you should be. And later, robots at your service, the new delivery guy who doesn't need to wear a mask. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. While algae blooms are common in interior lakes, wetlands, and ponds around this time of the year, a massive one in the Shushwap region has prompted health officials to issue a public service announcement. Global's Jules Knox has details on the exact area being affected and what you need to know. A growing green algae bloom clouding the typically pristine waters of Shuswap Lake. It's like this gross, not like vomity color green, but very close to that. And it's just like all through the water as far as your eye can see. Interior Health says the green algae bloom was first detected three weeks ago and has since grown to fill most of the salmon arm of Shuswap Lake. This one is unprecedented. That's why we issued the public service announcement is just because it has been going on for a long time and it's bigger than we recall ever seeing. Officials say that at this point, testing indicates the bloom is mostly the non-harmful green algae with very low numbers of the blue-green algae, which can produce a toxin. Which can cause um, some health impacts if you come in contact with it. And while the green algae won't just turn into the potentially toxic blue-green algae, Jacobson says the populations can vary over time. One population can die off and another one can start to grow. Officials say it is still safe to swim, but best to find an area where the water is clear. 
still, the murkiness isn't keeping lake lovers from swimming. I've been swimming in the lake a few times and I don't come out covered in green gunk. It's just, it makes your feel, skin feel a little bit weird sometimes. It's like, ew. Interior Health says that although the water isn't visually appealing, it is still safe for all recreational activities, as well as for the public drinking water systems that use the lake. However, officials say they will continue to closely monitor the situation. Jules Knox, Global News, near Salmon Arm. In an effort to prevent the spread of COVID-19, Tokyo is test running a new tool. What these robots are delivering and how clever they are after Yvonne's forecast. Bring me my dinner. <laughs> yes. That's a hint of what the robots bring you. Yes. All right, uh, Yvonne, looks like a nice evening out there. Yeah, we started off with more cloud cover, some breaks out there right now. It rains dry, especially this evening and overnight. Temperatures tonight will dip down to 11 degrees, similar to what we saw this morning. Cloud cover for tomorrow morning and more of a clearing towards the afternoon. And temperatures getting into the low 20s, especially for areas that are closer to the water. One spot across the province with a bit of a blip in the forecast is for the northern half. We'll start to see some showers moving in. It'll be as early as the afternoon, but the heaviest rainfall along the north coast and central coast will be by tomorrow evening. Much of the southern half of the province, though, still remaining dry, but we'll see that cloud cover once again. Long-range forecast, we've been advertising a change on the way with warmer temperatures. Tomorrow, still into the low 20s, similar for Friday. But as we get in towards the weekend, if you do have plans, some of the hottest days will be Saturday and Sunday. We'll still continue to see a warm day leading in towards Monday, and most spots for the interior will see the peak of the heat into Monday, Tuesday. So Sunday being one of the hottest, temperatures away from the water up to 30 degrees and for the interior continuing to see the heat so it'll be hot and dry for both Monday Tuesday northern half of the province so showers beginning by the afternoon rain heavy at times for the evening dry for the northeastern corners stretching down towards the central interior much of the southern half of the province tomorrow morning a heads up it's cloud cover clearing by the afternoon and along the south coast we are looking at clouds for the morning breaks towards the afternoon hot and sunny especially for Saturday and Sunday looking forward to it and leading in towards our Monday as well Tonight's weather window, this is a beautiful shot that was captured by Maggie at Big Bar Lake. Fantastic with the red clouds and the water as well. Looks like a painting. All right, thanks, Yvonne. Contactless delivery robots are being put to work in downtown Tokyo to help prevent the spread of the novel coronavirus. These blue boxes on wheels are being tried out at a new train station to limit human contact during the pandemic. They're so high-tech, they move at walking speed, use sensors to recognize their surroundings, and are able to avoid obstacles along the way. Customers place their order using an app, and when Deliro, as the ro robot has been named, arrives, the customer scans a QR code and then receives their bowl of soba noodles. Soba noodles? Uh, sign me up. I know. Now <laughs> I know what I want for dinner tonight. Totally. What about the human contact, though? The, hu the human experience? Well, this is the just thing. the pandemic. Just for the pandemic. Mm. It's pandemic times, mm. Jay. That, those are the old days. <laughs> are you dating us, Sophie? Now. Is that what you're doing? No, we're just <laughs> we're moving days. ahead into COVID mm. times now, Jay. Mm. Be safe, just be six kind. months ago uh -huh. was old times. <laughs> yeah, so long ago. All right, uh, well, this is sort of a throwback to five years ago. Yeah, so if the uh, wait is over, Canucks and Blues set to tangle in the opening game of their first round playoff series. Here's what JT Miller's expecting. Goals that are going to be scored in, or against this team are going to be your typical playoff goals, most likely around the net, you know, battling for pucks. Maybe a lucky bounce here and there. They don't give up a whole lot, so. 
So we go from handshaking to hand-wringing as the Canucks take on the Stanley Cup champs. Full helping of Puck just ahead in sports. And later, reunited. How a high school prom king and queen found each other again after more than two decades. All right, we were trying to guess how many people would be in the Shark Club. This is a live look at the Shark Club in downtown Vancouver, where hockey fans are getting ready to watch the puck drop. The Canucks taking on St. Louis in about an hour, just under an hour from now, Mm -hmm. their first playoff matchup. Of course, COVID-19 has thrown us a bit of a curveball in 2020, but some fans are still on the bandwagon. I can't count. How many did you see, Jay? Because I was reading. I, I, lost, I, I couldn't count because there's people in the far back there as well. I'm craving wings right now, though, So. Oh, yum. Yeah. yeah. Shark Club wings. Mm. And some dip. Oh. Now I'm hungry. I got to do sports thinking about food. Late August, mm. and we're just starting the playoffs. But <laughs> yeah. whatever, it's 2020, so. Mm-hmm. It is officially game time, Soph. Uh, game on, indeed. First time in five years for the Canucks. Canucks Nation gets to uh, seriously talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs. Tall task ahead for the boys, though. As the opening round, look at the defending Stanley Cup champions. The Blues, though, didn't look too sharp during the round-robin seeding portion games. We'll see if that will continue tonight against the ever-maturing Vancouver Canucks. Prior to game one, uh, prior to game one of their series against Minnesota, 10 Canuck players had never played a postseason game. Uh, I think as a group, especially with the younger guys, I think we're just a little naive and uh, you just kind of treat it like any other game. Um, I don't know if having no fans plays a big factor into it, but uh, it just seemed like we were a little bit more even keeled and uh, we were ready for the challenge. Um, you know, I know the first game of the season, even the regular season, you're usually nervous, but uh, I don't think there's really that many nerves amongst the guys. And I know we didn't get the result we wanted, but uh, we answered really well, well in game two. And I think that just kind of proves what I was saying, that we're ready to play and we don't care who we're playing, that we've worked hard to get to this point and uh, we're excited for the challenges that we face. I wasn't on the team, but I felt the pain in 11, so it'd be nice to win for Eddie and Tanny. They've been here a long time. They've gone through a lot of challenges, and you could say the same thing for Millsy. You know, they got spanked last year in the first round and got upset it, and I'm sure he wants redemption, so uh, it's a great opportunity for us, and I think the the main thing for us is that we're playing for each other and the guy next to you. So a year ago in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Columbus Blue Jackets swept Tampa Bay. Last night, the Lightning delivered payback, serious payback. When you factor in the pregame skate and finally the game-winning goal, both teams were in their hockey gear for close to eight hours. Tampa Bay winning 3-2 in a hockey game that went to five overtime periods. Now Kucherov fires again, hit Gavrikov up high. And the chance of point scores! Braden Point ends it! I've never been in a game that went that long. Similarly, I don't know how many guys on, on either side were in a game, have ever been in a game that long. Uh, definitely a, a battle, physical, mental. There's no way to prepare for, for a game that goes that long. Um, I thought we did a good job of just competing and, and keeping our feet moving. I mean, so did they. They, they, played, they played fantastic as well. It doesn't seem to be tiring. He looks fantastic. Playing in the fourth longest game in Stanley Cup history was a record setter on a few levels. The Jackets and Lightning combining for 151 shots, the most ever in an NHL game 
since the league began tracking the stat back in the mid-1950s. Columbus goalie Jonas Corposalo made an astounding 85 saves. His teammate defenseman Seth Jones logging a lactic acid leg burning 65 minutes, 6 seconds of ice time. Both records during these 6 hours and 8 periods of hockey action. You know, you try to go save by save, uh, not thinking too much and, you know, just running, running through it. Uh, um, you know, we put our bodies in a, in a position so we can do things like this and, and take it to levels of, uh, uh, of this extreme. So um, everyone played a lot of minutes. I'm sure everyone on our team played a record amount of minutes, personal record, and um, obviously we'll take care of our bodies tomorrow and uh, be ready for game two. Bruins and Hurricanes were supposed to play last night, but it was near bedtime once the Lightning and Jackets game in it, so they played it this morning. Boston was leading this game until the midway mark of the third period. Hayden Fleury slinging in the seeing-eye single from the blue line, took a rest in seat until it zipped past him. And wouldn't you know, we have more overtime today. Only two extra periods, though. They decided to go easy. Why play five when you can only do it in two? Patrice Bergeron pulls the trigger. Fourth career overtime game winner. Tell you, that guy is Mr. Clutch. Bruins take game one, four, three in double overtime. Islanders and Capitals. Washington, another one of those clubs that's looked average inside the bubble. They did jump out to a 2 nothing lead, but then they became passengers as they watched the Islanders roar past them. Braden Holby, bad giveaway. Josh Bailey, shorthanded marker. It was 3-2 Islanders. They scored four unanswered goals this afternoon. Matt Barzell was in on two of them. Anthony Beauvillier tapping in his fourth summer bubble goal. And the Islanders blitzed the Capitals 4-2. Another game completed. Colorado shutting out uh, Arizona 3-0. Only 14 shots on goals for uh, Arizona. And Philadelphia is leading the Montreal Canadiens 2-1 as they get ready to play the uh, third period. Champions League action. Italian side Atlanta had Perry Saint-Germain on the ropes today. This had a massive upset ridden all over it. They were leading 1-0 heading to the 90th minute, but PSG ties it up and then third minute of stoppage time. It's the game winner. A massive comeback for Perry Saint-Germain. They're off to the Champions League semifinals for the first time in 25 years. So far, I mean, it sounds like there are fans. At it sounds all good, doesn't games. it? <laughs> all right, thanks very much, Shay. Now to J.D. Jay Durant with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thanks, Sophie. Of course, we'll have all the highlights from the Canucks game tonight, plus a major development in efforts to secure a life-saving drug for baby Lucy Van Dormel. After almost $2.5 million was raised to pay for the treatment, her parents announcing today that the pharmaceutical company will cover the cost. The question now is what will happen to all the money donated. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11, Sophie. Wow, that's incredible. Thanks, Jay. Up next, how swiping right was exactly the right move for a former prom king and queen nearly 30 years later. It's a love story decades in the making. A homecoming king and queen reunited by chance on a dating app. 
And now, 28 years later, they have married in the very same stadium where they were crowned. When Janet Fenner and Greg DeBeast tied the knot at Montclair State University's football stadium, they crowned a courtship that started through a dating app. That right there, if that's the hook, line, and sinker that drew, drew me into that whole entire swipe. No dimple, no swiping. <laughs> it actually wasn't as simple as a dimple. You see, when Greg saw Janet's picture on that app, he recognized her from their college days at Montclair, where she was the homecoming queen, and he was the overly exuberant king. You showed the picture to your friend. What did your friend say to you? He said, that's your queen. Go get your queen. Had you forgotten that at that point? You know what? I actually did. <laughs> when, you're, when you're 50, there's not a lot of things that you remember back in the day. <laughs> in college, they knew each other but never dated. The Sparks came last year when they reunited. He proposed this April, paving the way for a socially distant wedding on the same field where they became royalty 28 years ago. Crowns and now vows on the 50-yard line. And I would say you may need a little bit of patience to wait for your queen or king. Patience. 30 years minimum, yeah. maximum maybe. <laughs> Joe Fryer, NBC News. I mean, it is a good dimple. Yeah. I'll give him that. Dimple. So he's always taking his pictures like this. <laughs> it's a good side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're not saying anything, Jay, which is probably for the best. <laughs> Final word on weather, Yvonne. <laughs> I'll take I'll take it, Jay. Here we go. Uh, we are looking at some cloud cover tomorrow morning. Breaks as we get in towards the afternoon. And the heat as we get in towards our Saturday, Sunday. So it warms up once again, paired with some sunshine. All right, go Canucks go as we say goodnight. Here's a live look inside the Shark Club where I say there were six. If you look closely, 16 people. Jay says six. 